you ever uh, you ever struggle with feeling that uh, your life sometimes isn't just worthwhile? You ever felt that way at all? Life goes by so quickly, and think about well, what a, what am I accomplishing that really matters? You know, I think everybody's had those kind of thoughts sometimes. It doesn't seem like I'm even making any kind of difference. It doesn't doesn't seem like it it matters. Uh, how can I spend my life so that it counts for something, you know, worthwhile? Of course, the correct answer there to that kind of question is that we spend our lives so that they would count for God and His purpose and whatever He uh, is uh, doing with us to make that uh, something that's eternal, realizing that He's He's working in us. So the the key question there comes down to the fact that my life does count for God. Every little thing, it, it doesn't even seem like much. It uh, doesn't seem like anything at all maybe sometimes, but but it is. And uh, of course that last song you sing, you know, it's, <laughs> even if we don't think so, uh, God is doing what He wants to do. A recall, right? For his, and that's His purpose. Nehemiah 7 can uh, kind of have some answers maybe uh, to that question that uh, about dealing with my life counting for God. Um, it's kind of an interesting chapter. When you look at it, you have most of it as genealogies. <laughs> and as a teacher, you look at that and go, what can I do with this chapter? Well, it's, it's not so much what can I do, it's what God has done with it. We know it's very important. Otherwise, He wouldn't have put it in here. Matter of fact, the list of genealogy here that starts at uh, about uh, oh, verse 6 and then pretty well through the rest of the chapter there is, is actually a repeat from Ezra. Now, he put it in there twice. Except for some little changes there, it's almost identical to what is in uh, Ezra. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, the book of Nehemiah in chapters 1 through 6 is about Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the wall, right? And that's what we've seen. So we come up to chapter 7, and it's kind of like a pivot. It's kind of like a, a, a change of pace that's going to start happening in chapter 8. Chapter 6 is what has already happened now uh, as restoring the walls of Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 13 is going to be restoring the people. Restoring the walls, now restoring the people in 8 through 13 as uh, God will do a work on them as uh, He's already started there. But So chapter 7 then has the, f- the first three verses and it's describing um, really what happened. The walls were built and Nehemiah is going to make sure that those the walls are part of a guarding type uh, thing there in Jerusalem to guard this newly walled city. He's going to take precautions. And then from 4, about verse 4 all the way through verse 73, it's a, it's a long chapter, um, really what you have there are we're looking forward to the reforms that God will bring for Nehemiah to, to work with the people. So the second half of the book is is reforming the people, showing how Nehemiah went about repopulating the city and then, of course, uh, where the people are going to be at spiritually. But 
really that's what a list of these names are about. It's making sure that Jerusalem gets repopulated with uh, these particular people that are there. Um, like we say, Ezra had a list of names. Uh, now Nehemiah does. And it's basically about who is available to repopulate the city so they can have worship. Because really, ultimately, that's really what this is all about. You want to you want to rebuild Jerusalem. You have to rebuild the walls for protection. Uh, you have a temple, and then when the people um, repopulate that city, it's it's all about worship. That's what God has in mind. Uh, people may not have that vision. Nehemiah certainly does. You know that's that's where it's heading. And there's a a personal identity that the people have, and, and a national identity. So there's encouragement. Uh, from uh, Nehemiah here and there to fulfill their responsibilities because of the identity of who they are and what God wants to do with them in building that city. It's real important. Yes? I want to show my here. So we're talking about rebuilding the wall. Let's all look. What? <laughs> 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 I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we're talking about rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the people spiritually. When was the temple built? Built rebuilt before or after? Yeah, they had actually started coming in there like a hundred years before. That's what I was saying. The temple was first. And then you think of Ezra, and then they they built that temple. But then they were building yeah, and, yeah. building that uh, wall and all around it. Yeah. I'm sure it didn't look like much in any any area around there, and a lot of rubble and such. So they had a lot of work to do, and, the, and, and they were kind of given up. Um, and Nehemiah comes in there to revive this whole thing. You know, you have temple, but the, nobody's really there. There's nothing really happening. But there are priests. There are, um, we know, the, there's singers. Uh, there's gatekeepers. That's the first thing we see in that first verse. And that's really dealing with worship. Can I ask if you have any insight on, I just find it interesting, <clears throat> build the walls, set up the doors, which is important, City and the porters, the gatekeepers, and then the Levites for the for the uh, it's the singers that throws me off. I wonder why that's important to set up with the singers. Well, this is all. This is all dealing with, and you don't see it here. You don't see it, and and you notice the first point on the outline says worship matters to God. And when you think, of course, just singing isn't all that makes up uh, worship. It's a part of worship and it gets people ready for the Word of God. And of course, in chapter 8, that's where we really see it preached to them. But uh, singers played a a key role. Of course, you go back to the time of David and uh, you think of the highlight times of of the nation. And uh, they would have, you know, as choirs, people singing. Helping people, uh, you know, lead in, or they were leading in worship, and so I think the singers that that's put there it makes us think of uh, a worship time, and that's really I think a focus. Yeah. It is, isn't it? It just sticks out. It's like okay, we need guards around, right? But but you're right. There's the Levites, and what's where are Levites? Well, that's priestly family and they do their duties and singers were very very important right along there with the Levites and and uh, of course you know there's a it's kind of like a call to worship <coughs> the singers start 
I'm sure that they sang a lot of psalms and you know like we do hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. Right. And you know which which uh, in the uh, in this whole genealogy restoration thing I think is important because they're probably singing historic things too. You know like how they were delivered by God. You know how Moses. You know they would. You know, God history, yeah, and all those things, and so it's like a heritage kind of thing that in a song could be uh, also done, and then the children and the people can learn, just like we learn doctrine through him, right? Uh, it's great teaching. You know, it helps. Yeah, it helps to solidify that. And then the other thing is, I think it's a great witness to not only within the walls but outside. You know, this what is that? You know what? I hear all this beautiful singing coming from these voices. Probably very few instruments with it. Mostly just, you know, vocals, acapella. Just that, that is the most beautiful instrument there is when you have an acapella choir singing. Yeah, but, and then on top of that idea, it's important enough to be singing about to those that don't know. You know what I mean? It makes you sing and think, well, why are these people, why would they be singing? So it must be something of, of importance. Yeah, it's, well, it's like a fragrance of the temple. It reminds me of uh, when when forts and like army bases, military bases, they have the radio going. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's like. It, it may be like uh, the the entertainment, the radio for the soldiers and the guard, the people that are guarding the place to have some kind of link to their, you know, to what's going on and inside. Yeah, it's like part of the life of the organic church, you know. The, the well, you know, the psalms are big with singing praises to God. Yeah, absolutely. That's about the highest praise you can get. He inhabits, inhabits right. praises. He loves it. He, he invented it. Yeah, and and of course he, you know, of course man does everything that God gives. Man is going to twist and and uh, turn it to, to different directions of their own way. But but God uh, gave quite a gift in that. So anyway, okay, uh, yeah, Audrey, that, that set it all up because that's that's why we're picking worship even though you don't see it mentioned there. Uh, it definitely has a lot to do with why they're doing this in the first place. It's the most important thing people can do, isn't it? That's worship God. Praise God, honor God, glorify God. Well, let's pray. Father, thank You. As we look into this chapter, long chapter, a lot of names, but yet we looked at the, just the first few verses and we see that what you're setting up here through Nehemiah is a place where uh, a, a city, a city that will have people, a lot of people in it, bring people back there. Also, the temple makes us think of the most key ingredient that they need, and that's to worship you to know You. Help us worship You tonight, Lord, by looking at Your Word and learning a little bit more of You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, Verse 1, Now when the wall was rebuilt, and that's what we've been covering, six chapters, and I had set up the doors, and that's what they were after to do. He had everything there going into last week's chapter except the doors. Now they got the doors in. And the gatekeepers, you've got to have somebody watching the gates then, 
if you have a, a, a walled city, it's still not going to do any good unless you have people there watching it. And the singers. <laughs> and, of course, we find that fascinating. And the Levites were appointed. That was really important to, to Nehemiah here. Then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they're standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city, who came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Naman, and we will uh, stop there. We're not going to go over this. all the names in here. They are important. And I never want to take that away. Uh, I just don't want to butcher up the names really bad, so I'm going to stop there. But there's enough to cover in the first few verses that sets all that up. Nehemiah mentions after the walls are rebuilt, doors are installed, he appoints these gatekeepers, singers, Levites, and most commentators and say, and, and they correctly say that these uh, worship leaders were also assigned guard duty at the city gates. Uh, and that definitely can be so. Uh, there's another con- commentator by the name of Derek Kidner, and he said that these men take priority here because worship was the city's reason for existence. Why else would God want this to be rebuilt? One reason. Only one reason. To, that they would worship Him. That the people that He's chosen to be the ones who would eventually give the Word of God to the Gentiles as He used them. He has to have that all set up. The Messiah has to come um, 400 years from this time. The Messiah is, is going to be on schedule. We, we must have a nation. We must have those, uh, those people. He, he has to come from uh, you know, the seed of David. And, and so that's really important that these genealogies are in place so that the people wouldn't get lost in who they were or where they came from. Bob, you mentioned the history. They need to keep that historical aspect going because it could have gotten lost. Had they been there more than 70 years, they would have just blended in with the rest of the nation and they would no longer would have been existent as those people. But that can't happen because God already has His plan. He already has a promise that Messiah has to come through there. And so you can see why even though this chapter doesn't seem like much to us, it, uh, as far as meaning, we know it does, but uh, it's very important for these people to, to be there. Praising God. Priority. The ultimate priority is worship. Uh, you have a guard, a standing guard. It's protect the city. We know the enemy's still there. 
As a matter of fact, we saw in chapter 6 that Nehemiah and his people just kept winning. And then the enemy just kept coming and coming and coming, no matter what. And uh, it's kind of relentless. So we know the enemy never never stops its war against God's people uh, until uh, one of these days. So um, a good heart, uh, you know, when we spend eternity together, a good part of eternity is going to be praising God together. Imagine that. Corporate worship. Can you imagine that? Uh, I have to think of Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. We think of the Psalms so much and what a key book that is in, in praising and high worship of God. And here it is looking into the eternal state and uh, Revelation 5 verse 9 they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth and um, then um, what is it um Verse 12, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Boy, aren't those praise terms. Worthy to be sung. Verse 13, Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To Him, Christ, sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I think you can think of the whole triune God here, couldn't you? Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. If you want to say amen? <laughs> wow. That's that's high praise. That's, of course, God's Word and, and at the same time it shows people that are Christians can't help but say those and you get excited any time you read those, don't you? I mean, that's the words that you want to put forth. Yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> they sure made a great song, didn't they? <laughs> Handel's Messiah, as fantastic and as awesome as it is, is probably going to be just a little picture of the kind of music that we're going to hear. And I mean, that is the classic of classics, you think of that work. Uh, Right. We're just learning what it is. We're going to be so caught up with the beauty of the glory of God. That's all we will want to do in everything that we do. And we'll have duties We'll, we'll be serving and we'll enjoy every bit of it and we'll be praising God even while we're doing that. Yeah. You might even do that throughout the day where you're at anyway, right? But this is going to be coming uh, from our, our glory. We'll just be lost in wonder. Uh, talking about ultimate love to God. We'll be able to love God like we don't hear. You know, we fall short. Of, we know that. You know, our praise is as good as you know, we want to get it, and we we still fall short of it. You know, it it only is it's so limited, and they're lost and 
praise, lost in wonder. Um, we mentioned Gary Larson and Far Side cartoons, you know. Uh, there was this guy sitting on the cloud, white robe, the harp. You know, you, you've always heard of this. That's what people think heaven is, right? And he's thinking, I should have brought a magazine. <laughs> That's all I do is I sit here with a harp, you know. He's getting bored. That won't happen. And if you've ever gotten bored here, it will never happen. There's no such thing. That would be a, you know, to be bored, I think, probably is a sin. As a matter of fact, yeah, discontent, and discontent is sin, isn't it? Because it puts you above others and above God. Saying, saying, I'm not, I'm not getting what I deserve in a way. It's prideful. That's right. That can't happen there, can it? Yeah. And therefore, the praise is all gone. Now we're we're actually wanting the praise to us. That's really what that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. We call him the greatest. The greatest thing I remember him saying is on the plane. You know, he wouldn't put a seatbelt on and. <laughs> that lady told me you put your seatbelt on. It's like God doesn't need seatbelt or something. So God, and the lady said, "Well, God doesn't need to fly either." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I remember that. Superman. I've always heard of <laughs> We um, sometimes I think we just fail to see the stunning beauty, the glory of Christ. And that's... And we're just inhibited here by a, a lot of things, but uh, the, the, of course, you know, if, if you were to look at a, a, a scene, a natural beauty, we, we have some great sunsets here, you know, or if you've ever gone where there are mountains and you see the sunset there, or you think Grand Canyon, just an incredible thing. And if there's somebody standing by you and you don't even know them, what is it you want to do? You want to share that glory? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this glorious? You know, you want to you want to tell that to somebody when you see something. You can't help it, but but say that. Oh wow! You want, you want to share it with them, and they'll they'll say it back. Complete strangers, and you know that's. I think that's the way it is when when we see the awesome God that He is. It should create a spontaneous praise in us. We feel very comfortable doing it with our own selves, you know, by ourselves, and then when we're together, isn't it? It's just it's so easy to do that, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, but praise is best when it is shared. I would hate to just to be a lone Christian. God never designed us to be that way, and uh, it, that would be that would be hard, wouldn't it? And boy, even when you saw some amazing things in there, and you wouldn't have a soul to share it with. There's something missing there, isn't there? That's what I felt at my niece's wedding. I think I was the only Christian. I am the only Christian in the family, I know that, but I was probably the only Christian there. And, you know, we were hiking at Canyon, and I was just 
reveling in the beauty of it, but, and unbeknownst to me, so was my aunt, but she blurted out, isn't this gorgeous? Does anybody who doesn't believe in evolution <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Really? Uh, <laughs> uh, I was taken aback to the point where I did, you know, I always think of what you should have said afterwards. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that was one of those situations where I should have said, you know, I was just thinking that same thing about the beauty and how God created the other so beautiful. But I didn't say that. I just. What do I do with it? It seems like in our language, in our ideas, that we say the same things, but we change words in the sentences like that. That would be the normal thing to say, you know, about God. You know, you know, you'd be talking about anybody who doesn't believe in God after seeing that. But they change, they take God out and put it in, you know, evolution in its place. It's just interchangeable words. <laughs> Well, the canyons makes me think of judgment, like the flood. <laughs> I'm sorry. But well, yeah, I, everything is connected to God. And, yeah. and the fall of man, right? Yeah. We encounter it every day, don't we? But then it makes you put your view on, on God then to put the right perspective. The infinite beauty of the infinite God. Man, we have just barely started in seeing the beauty of God. I just want to see more and more. And of course, we see it in, in the Scripture and how He he works in lives. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 2 and 3 uh, deals with godly character. That really matters to God, doesn't it? Worship is at the top, but at the same time, in His own people... He wants godly character to come through because it reflects who He is. reflects His image. Verse 2 and 3, Then I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. For he is a faithful man, feared God more than many. I have a lot of character there. Nehemiah, well, we know, is quite an exemplary leader, isn't he? We, we've seen that in the first six chapters. He has to delegate responsibility here. Uh, this is uh, quite an undertaking that's that's going to be going on. Already has been, and you know he has a lot of skills that are administration that he's done and leadership. But the main thing that sticks out in Nehemiah is his godly character, as he puts God above everything. He picks two men here to head head this city, and Hananiah is uh, that's probably his, his blood brother. Uh, remember he had he had gone to. To, uh, Su- uh, what Susa, or, and he'd come back from there, gone from Jerusalem to Jerusalem, then come back from there, and then told Nehemiah the news about what was happening in Jerusalem. Uh, a sad condition, and that was the first three verses of, of the book. Uh, he appoints him as like a civil leader there of, of Jerusalem uh, before the city really gets really taking off. He's got the right men in the right place. Hananiah is like a military leader here, as it says he's the commander of the fortress. So as a civil leader, a military leader, uh, and he tells that he's a faithful man. He's a man who fears God. He's a military leader who's faithful, who fears God. Doesn't fear the enemy, but he fears God. 
That's the way to be. So there's three godly character traits here that we can uh, we can look at. Uh, faithfulness. Hebrew word means to be reliable. It means to be truthful, um, to be firm in that. Uh, somebody that can be counted on. Hananiah is one who could be depended on. Nehemiah knew that. And he could absolutely depend on him to do that. He, he would speak truth. And, um, of course, if he promised to do something, then he was going to do it. He was going to stick to it no matter what. He was going to do what it took. Um, so if one wants a life that counts for God, I think a good character trait would be that they would be faithful. Faithful. A faithful person. And, of course, you think of it in the New Testament, and you think of it as a what? A fruit of the Spirit. All Christians have faithfulness. Now, there's going to be degrees of that. And, of course, we want to um, have God work on that in us, that that faithfulness would come out and be something that is seen, right? Fruitful. Um, Galatians 5, that's where that's at. We were in Galatians. We went through those fruit of the Spirit. Um, All of us have gifts. Everybody has different gifts, unique gifts, but we're stewards of those gifts. He gives us, and now we are to use those in the proper way and what He has given us to be able to... Uh, we know that He's allotted those to us and we're responsible for uh, how we use what He's given. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. where it talks about stewards, servants. Let a man regard us in this manner, verse 1, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Did you know you're a steward? You are a steward of the mysteries of God. The things that were once not known, now are known. We give that out and, and show that to people God's God's truth. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Faithful. A faithful steward. That's that is the requirement. That's what God gives us things. We're to be stewards of it. Of course, you automatically think of money. You know, God gives us money. God gives us food, you know, all the necessities that we have, and he gives us a lot of other stuff, and we're stewards of that. Everything that we have, we're stewards of. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever gift you have, it's not really yours. It was given to you, though. And there was nothing that you did to earn it. God gave it to you. Well, hello. How we doing? <laughs> Good to have you. Do we have any outlines left? Or? Yeah. Ah, we got an outline left. Thanks, Bob. So, um, being that faithful steward is is so key. I I think faithfulness is is essential for a Christian. Essential uh, as an ingredient. How about in relationships? Relationships as far as um, maybe a one-on-one relation with somebody. Dealing with trust, let's say. If, if, If you don't trust someone because of things that they have done in the past and not done, you're not going to get too close to that person, right? Because you can't, you can't trust them. Um, 
we we're going to keep our distance in, in a sense. Like I've never it never proved to me that uh, you know he's 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 that way that he's faithful. Um, anyway, or if you say something, somebody can take it and throw it out in the wrong way, and it's it's misconstrued. Uh, so if you sense that someone is not um, truthful and trustworthy, then you don't trust them, right? And and there's a good reason for that. You you know you want to be be wise. Uh, God is a faithful God, and He always speaks truth, and He keeps His word. And so as we grow in godliness, then uh, we will grow in faithfulness. He wants us to take what He has given to us as truth and be stewards of it so that as we give it out, then that people can learn to trust God by trusting what we say and what we do. Faithfulness, uh, it makes me think of a couple of different words. But like, it could also be for faithfulness and commitment. You know, whenever you make a commitment to be at a place uh, week after week or you know, uh, an engagement that you had planned a long time ago, being faithful to that. Uh, but it also makes me think of integrity and how that word, you know, in doing what you vowed or said you were, you know, uh, and uh, those, you know, being devoted to something. Uh, but, you know, th- those are different, like, facets of that faithfulness. Like, faithfulness is something that, like you said, is, is seen after a while. It's not something that is a result, almost, in a way. You know, right. it's just looking back and going, you were faithful. People can will see that over a course right. of time, and they can learn to trust in that person because they see that they're faithful in what they do. They really mean it. They're really in they in for it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, that that's a lot for people to, to. It's being first of all faithful to God, as we read in First Corinthians four, but then it's also being faithful in the sense that it affects others. And, uh, it certainly does. Faithful is actually. In my opinion, the best character in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like a yeah. character, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, because uh, he was faithful to the end, even when that end was ill timed and, and very soon. You know, uh, and that he told the, the, the uh, evangelist before they got into Vanity Fair, told them, uh, you know, you're about to, one of you will die. They're looking at each other, going, oh, "Is it me, <laughs> or is it you?" <laughs> and uh, but uh, he was like Stephen, and he took it like Stephen. Yeah, those names in there are not by accident, are they? Right. Takes those biblical terms and turns them into individuals. Kind of interesting. Um, one way to uh, develop the faithfulness, and that's, of course, that's really kind of what you're talking about there, but um, obeying God's commands. Uh, God has given us responsibilities. Hey, Lil, how we doing? Um, we want to obey His commandments, and we want to live a pure life, morally and in, in every aspect that would uh, what honor Him. And you, you think of a husband uh, who is a father. He's responsible, for instance to provide the basic needs 
of the rest of the family, right? Uh, a parent is responsible to train up the children in God's ways as a member of God's or Christ's body, for instance. We're all members of that body, right? You're responsible to serve Him in some capacity for the, the rest of the people. That, that's talking about faithful there, isn't it? And that it would be seen. Um, not being foggy about what you are uh, supposed to be doing. It's just, you know, you being able to use those gifts in it. Uh, another way to uh, to develop faithfulness is don't neglect the small things. Because a lot of times we think, you know, somebody in a real big ministry doing great things, and, you know, they have all sorts of um, TV ministries, radio ministries, they have books out, and all. nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, you know, God is like, He starts us off in really little, little things may not even seem like much. Believe me, they are. But he says in Luke 16.10, that always helps us uh, kind of put it in perspective. Luke 16.10 He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Anyway, uh, faithful in, in, in even the, the least of things that seemingly are uh, Managing what God has given us. Managing the little bit of amount of money that He's given us. <laughs> and, and how do you measure that? You can say little. You know. Well, it depends on how you, who you compare it to, I guess, right? He's given us a lot. But sometimes we may feel like we have a little bit of money. Well, He's given that to you, and He is giving it to you to manage. Manage for the kingdom of God. Imagine that. And it's being able to, you know, of course, that means what paying the bills. It means being honest in uh, all the financial matters. Uh, it can mean keeping our word, uh, having an orderly life, keeping, uh, as uh, uh, you were saying there, um, keeping appointments, places that were to be, whether you know it be at church or whether it be some place else. You know, it's being uh, somebody who's faithful. Th- those are little things, huh? With it. Yeah, right. Even when sometimes it doesn't even seem like it's worth it. But yet, staying with it. There's been a few moments where um, where I I was supposed to go somewhere and it was a small event and nobody was really going to be there. And I was like, ah, but I said I'd go. And when I did, good things happened. Yeah. It's like, you go there and you think it's going to be a small thing, but then when you get there, it becomes a big thing. A lot of good things happen from this world. Yeah, that's probably happened to to a lot of us, you know, when things. And you wouldn't think God would even be in something like that, would you? Oh boy, He can take the smallest things and make them really huge in our lives. So. <laughs> Must be me too. <laughs> I so much money when I was younger and didn't 
who, even though I belonged to a church, I didn't tithe, I did pay the bill, but, um, you know, he gave me a little bit and I didn't do well with it. But then he starts teaching us, doesn't he? And he reverses that, doesn't he? And then you still see the blessings and say, my, he's taken care of me all along anyway, hasn't he? In every way. Has... Have we really gone hungry? We got a place to live. It's pretty amazing, and it turns out to be a big thing when we see God in it. So, um, don't neglect the small things because really, um, God—if you're faithful—God blesses that. Number three, keep your uh, relational priorities straight. You look in First Timothy three. And these happen to be qualifications of elders, but these are high qualifications and it would be good for everybody to want to be... We're talking about temperate and prudent, respectable and hospitable, right? I mean, any Christian should have those. Verse 4, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? How can he lead if he can't take care of that? And 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 when we see here that that's where it starts, that's that may seem like a small thing. It's not. If you have a family that honors God, that's that's one of the greatest things that can be in your life. I can't think of anything better than where you have a family that desires to honor Him. You know, and and that's the what you said, by Bob. Amen. Amen. Right. It, and it's quite a uh, quite a privilege, quite a blessing. But you know, our relationship always is Christ first, right? It's always Christ, and we spend time alone with Him. That's very important. And then right after that is family. Our family is next. And if I don't order my family relationships properly, how can I lead in a local church, right? And that's what Timothy's saying there. Uh, relationships are so important that John says that if you don't love your brother, what's what's the result of that? He says, if I do not love my brother whom I've seen, I cannot love God whom I've not seen. So there's there's relationships all the way first starting with God and then your family and then on in, inside the church and then outside the church, right? And of course that that's faithfulness there. He, as he gives us in in the uh, in the family and in the church and and then even on out into the world and uh, number four as far as what developing faithfulness is is learn to use our time effectively. What, what'd that come out of? Sound like yeah, scripture. Remember, it is. Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians four. Yeah. Uh, use that time effectively. That every moment. Every moment has been given to us by God. Redeem your time, as it says in Ephesians. You just said it right there. Buy up the time. Whatever that time is. Use it for the kingdom of God. But, you know, there are a lot of things that we need. I, it, we'll have to think about it. I, I, uh, I think about sometimes there's, there's different ministries that can be done by individuals or two people or three people. Sometimes just looking for it 
or sometimes it's it's just there, it just happens. Um, I think about even like nursing homes or um, places like that that where one could sit down and talk to one, two, three, maybe even a group of people, you know, and have a, have a Bible study time. Has anybody ever thought of something like that? Where you could get into a situation like that, you know, you know, meeting, you know, people on the on the thing and just just talking. There's so many different ways of doing it, but that time that we have, it's it's so special. Where does it? Sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. Where does it? Uh, where does it say to whom much is given, much is required? Would, would that apply? The first word, you know, where that is. Because I don't have a concordance. That's very yeah, that's good. What I was Without the concordance. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. What scripture is that? What verse? Is that Jesus saying that? Or? Several different passages, and I can't now. I can't think of the exact uh, wording of that. Of course, you have the the parable of the the ten minas. Remember that? Uh-huh. You have th- three different men. And of course, the, those parables that Jesus had of that. I, I I can't think of the scripture at the moment. But if we get out get out the um, the phone, <laughs> start dialing that up. It'll be there. <laughs> Help me out there. I'm sorry I didn't come up with it. Luke 12:48. Yeah. Go ahead. Luke 12:48. Does it does it uh, come up there on you? Which one? Much will be yeah. required of everyone that's been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who entrusted with more. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So here's the deal. As you grow in faithfulness, God will give you more. Guess what? Now you're responsible for even more. Now I know what you're thinking. I don't want any more. I've got enough right here. You you don't have the option of that because you you're you are to continue to grow in Christ and say, well, I like it right here. This is just fine. I don't want any more. God says, oh, really? Well, let's see about that. <laughs> uh, yes, He wants to give you more, so you will do what? Give Him more. Exactly. That's kind of a principle that that works really well, doesn't it? I can't get rid of them quick enough. <laughs> Believe me, there are plenty out there that need it. And who knows, we might have somebody else come in here tonight. <laughs> we have had quite a few times. Last Tuesday night, we had the visitor come there at the end and We've had, it's interesting when we moved here, we you know, and I wouldn't mind if if that happens. I don't care. Steady mission. I don't care. That's that's right. Yeah, and of course they were they were in uh, 
it, it was really a legitimate need, and we got to talk with him, and some people uh, helped out, gave him some, he, he was hungry, he hadn't eaten in a couple of days, and I believe it. Uh, but actually, I think the guy, he professed to be a Christian, as many of them do, but uh, at the same time, I, I think it's I think it's interesting that we're the light that shines here. And of course, at this time of the year now, we have pretty well light out there, and but... Uh, every every place else closed around here, yeah. <laughs> and if they're they're in need, so that's happened a few times, and uh, it's like, well, that's that's interesting. It's uh, yeah. thank you, Lord. Um, there's so many different ways that. Uh, just, well, your cousin no. Victor was one. Was he? Yeah. He came here without me. Yep. Really? He was. He had a look on his face and he wanted a Bible. Well, um, that's faithfulness. What about Hananiah here in verse 2? He was a faithful man and what? Feared God. Hananiah, my, I was wondering, well, I don't know if I have enough material here for this chapter 7 tonight. And here it is, it's 8 o'clock. Well, you got 15 minutes, remember? I guess I'll just finish point number 2, and and I don't... 8.15. Yeah, but it's on the left side. Yeah, 8.15. Okay. I think Bob set that up, actually. He did. He knew, he knew better. He wasn't going to lie. He said, we never stop at 8. That was back when we did music... You know, before every the Bible study, I think, and so we made an allowance. Well, at least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, it's good. That's interesting. Hannah and I have feared God more than many. I mean, the fear of God is kind of a matter of degree, isn't it? All Christians do fear God. I mean, we do. I mean, in that proper reverential type relationship we have with Him. Uh, but some fear God a little bit. Some fear God a little bit more. This guy feared God much. And what is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of God grows out of knowing God, doesn't it? When you see who God is, what's that? Knowledge of the Holy One. Knowledge of the Holy. There's a book titled that. A.W. <laughs> Tozer. <laughs> at the classic. Say it. The first step to wisdom is to fear the Lord your God. And when you really think about that, when you actually begin to fear the Lord, and you do start to obtain wisdom through His Word to fear the Lord, to hate evil, and when you start doing that and start doing good because you despise evil, and you start to grow smarter and wiser. Um, you start running into other people who don't know the Lord or don't believe He's real or don't believe He's good. It's, uh, it's like they can have a high college education and yet you can speak to them and, and you don't need a college education. And you're like, um, almost equal terms with them, but your education comes from the Lord and theirs comes from the earth. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so I've run into quite a few people like that who have high levels of education and I don't have those. But they don't believe in God, and I do. And so it's like, as we speak, like they don't run into those walls, 
because they don't have those answers, and it's like I have those answers that they don't have. Yeah, <laughs> first Corinthians. It's cool how God provides those kind of things. <laughs> he uses the foolish right. to the wise. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? Yeah, I hear you. And uh, these are these are high things of God when when you talk about just the things that we're talking about here. You know, it's nothing in and of ourselves that we have, but it's what He has. He has given this to us. We're responsible for the wisdom that God has given us. I mean, and I think He has taught us very well in Scripture. I think He's teaching us, and there's so much more to learn. We have not arrived in any way, but at the same time, what He's given us, I think, is it's incredible that. You can take a uh, a man with degrees and degrees of education and not understand anything here that we're talking about. Right. And, and it's all praise to God because we and ourselves wouldn't either. It's, it's all the grace of God. But that isn't it incredible. It's amazing we can understand the deep things of the universe. Just beyond comparison. Who knows just how much knowledge to give us at a certain time? And it can also bring on pride as it, knowledge puffs up. If, right. if we just see it as knowledge as knowledge, yeah, it certainly puffs up. And right. it, it, it has to be a wisdom to be able to use that knowledge incorrectly. Um, but we see who God is. We see His great grand glory and the beauty of Him and then we see ourselves and by comparing uh, there's no comparison we fall on our face in fear that you know that's <laughs> we see He's holy and uh, we never want to presume on His grace and become irreverent um, we know we have a loving relationship with God but we always want to keep that certain amount of respect and awe of Him always. Just being reverent toward the Holy One. Yeah, when He interpreted that dream. Certainly did. Exactly. Always from there. Matter of fact, if you look at Nehemiah, we look at verse five. Then my God put it into my heart. He knows why he's doing what he's doing and how he's able to do it and get these men surrounded. He's surrounding himself with good, godly men and leaders too, isn't he? And so they can make an impact there. Uh, while we're talking about fear of God, I, I had a passage. Mark 13, Mark 13:34. This is dealing with you know, uh, being alert, being watchful. It's like a man way on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to you all, be on the alert. 
So being watchful, being alert, that's what the the next one we were going to talk about, watchfulness. But it's also dealing with, with fear of, you know, that master coming there. I want to make sure that I have have a right. Nehemiah not only built the wall with the, the sword and the trowel, remember? You know, he posted guards there. He gave careful instructions. Here, you know, he's appointing leaders. Got to guard the city. We have the wall. We got to keep on watch. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need to watch out. You know, we got this this fortress, but we have to be guarding. We need to watch out for the, the spiritual dangers that Satan is uh, just looking for the opportunities. And, uh, of course, getting us into sin and they love to just destroy us. I think as parents have to be alert to the dangers that can destroy their children. Church leaders, they have to be alert to the dangers that could come in you know, to the, to the body of Christ, to the flock, right? You know, the shepherd, the flock, watching out for those. Um, and you'll notice that Nehemiah and the people had a time of success. They built the wall up, got the doors in there, and Nehemiah just doesn't stop there and say, okay, now we've got it. Now you guys take care of this. And he goes back off to, you know, back to the king. But uh, he realizes that there are more things to do. That's when the enemy can strike at the hardest. When we've had a victory, we sit back on our laurels, we will be surprised. We think we're doing just fine. All of a sudden, guess what? Easy to kick back, let down the guard. We don't we don't have any time to let down the guard. We can't ever let down the guard. Ever. That's interesting. <laughs> we always have to be alert. I think that's what scripture says. How many times are we not? I mean, I know there's times I get so lackadaisical and so complacent gives me a gentle or not so gentle reminder. Or sin just kind of creeps right in. Mm-hmm. Unannounced. Right. Where did that come from? Start thinking thoughts of saying something you're like, oh man, I can't believe that. <laughs> it just starts creeping in. Slowly. Where did it come from? No. What was that? The watching and the waiting and the sin and everything you guys talked about in Psalm 130. And you know, I wait for the Lord, I wait and put my hope in His Word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen, watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. There's attentiveness and earnestly staying up, you know, and waiting. Yeah. Always, always. That's, even in our own homes, He said, in front of your own house, he says uh, about the guards, um, not only at around where their um, the walls are at. Uh, where was that at? The end, the end of three. Standing guard, let them shut both the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post on the walls, and each in front of his own house. Uh, be on guard in our own homes. Nehemiah instructed that each one stand guard in front of his own house. Guard what 
can be wanting to come in. Be careful. Be careful what the world is offering. Just trying to come in our own home. TVs, computers, what have you. What's that? Wasn't that wisdom there too, though? I mean, where did he ask the people to guard in front of their own home? That's the place you're going to guard the most diligently anyway. So, you know, there was really some method there by which he did that. Exactly. Comes in harder than it ever has before. Boy. And then, and then, what do you tell people who say, "Well, you're judging me"? You know, they think they're Christian, that, and that their Christian liberty allows them to have whatever they want for their eyes or for you know, and, and witnessing to other people. And what do you say to that? You know, they'll, they'll use. Uh, Romans on you and they'll use Corinthians. Do they think that all the prisoners in the prison should be let out because nobody should be judging them? Right. You know? Right. Yeah, right. Well, I think, you know, uh, the Word of God is always answer, and you can use some of these guarding verses that we have there, you know, like in our New Testament, the parables, guard your heart. And whatever they want to do with that, that's up to them then. But, you know, if they want to have that freedom, we need to guard that freedom. And and the Romans thing also, we we know that that freedom also can get us into trouble once we let it go further than what it should go to. But, um, well, and freedom in Christ is being a slave to Christ. Right. We're set free from sin right. to be a slave right. to Jesus. We never cover that or to use that for to, to sin. Far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, See, when, when, Christians be, when people claim to be Christians and then they support like abortion or their marriage, then they're not, they're not biblical. Well, I'm talking about like subtle... Uh, you know Small what they would call areas, gray areas that the Bible doesn't cover, like movies and uh, TV and stuff. Oh, it covers those. It covers exactly. It covers those very clearly. It's no black, there's no gray. And and then and then if I say, well, you know, if I give them scripture, they're giving scripture back. That's, that's why I can't judge them. In in that instance, I think I find is that whatever movie they're referring to, open their eyes to what's in the movie. That's what I did. Right. And then because I got weird and telling him, hey, you're a temple of the Lord, you shouldn't let anything happen. Right. And then he, just and he said, you're weird. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> then he doesn't know the word of God. Right. Not ours, you know, what mankind. But maybe he'll go for the figure out. <laughs> yeah. That's right, though. Sometimes when you tell people things like that, and all yeah. they have is you're weird, Pray for it's, them. it's because you hit a nerve. You hit a nerve. All right. And then they'll... If they have the Holy Spirit in them, they might be convicted later. It might might take a bit, but you know, you, you put a thought there. Sometimes we don't always know. You know, where is that line at? And we don't know. Some might go a little bit over on this side. Other, you know, and and, and it is tough. But at the same time, 
if it's if it's obvious before that person, if it's been brought to their attention, then you pray for them. God's Spirit works with them. You give them a scripture or two. Maybe it uh, deals with that if they'll listen to that. But I know John the Baptist was pretty weird too. Uh, is that what you said? You're weird. Right? Jesus was weird. You know. I mean, he he was really radical. And of course, you think Paul. What you know? What you think of all the godly people in the Bible? Yeah. Christians are kind of weird. I've heard that before. <laughs> Let's have a word. Thank you guys for coming out tonight.